All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, where I help young salespeople navigate their careers. I'm your host, Tommy Tahoe. It's Wednesday, March 16th. We're hitting you one day before St. Patrick's Day, your pre-Guinness sales podcast. Um, excited to get into the content today. Um, I've got a doozy of an episode for you. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked about this one. I've been trying to, uh, to hunt this guest down for weeks, maybe even months. Uh, we've met, we've chatted, uh, we've done the dozy dough, and now we are getting into uh, a great conversation. So Zoe Hartsfield, you probably know her. You probably enjoy her LinkedIn content. She's probably uh, one of the most recognizable, one of the most authentic people that I see uh, on LinkedIn that I've met through the LinkedIn community. Uh, Zoe started off uh, as an SDR over at BombBomb, which is a video platform. Uh, transitioned into community while she was there. Uh, she really, at least when I first recognized her, was when she was running community uh, at Dooley, which is a really popular uh, sales tech. And now more recently, she took on running community over at Speckit, uh, which is in the sales enablement space. And we get into a lot. I mean, we talk about her career, talk about how we get it, how she got into sales, sending thousands, thousands of video messages as an SDR. As you can imagine, if you're selling a video platform, you want to highlight that video tech in your prospecting. So what she learned from sending all those videos, um, her transition into community, see that as, as a growing field um, in, the, in the sales world and the sales and marketing world. So she talks a little bit about why she did that, how she helped to build that out at Dooley, what the plans are uh, at Speckit. They raised a pretty massive uh, funding round from the go-to-market fund and others uh, last year and have really caught fire. So they're, they're definitely a name to watch. And then, you know, towards the back half, we get real. I mean, we, we talk about mental health. We talk about her journey with that. We talk about some dark times and, and trying to turn the, the dark times into uh, brighter times. And so if you are uh, on board to get a little bit heavy today, uh, this is, this is going to be the podcast for you. If you want to keep it a little bit light, then maybe you pause this one and, and you start it up tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite conversations that I've had in quite some time uh, on the show. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Show Zoe some love uh, after the show. Ping her on LinkedIn. Connect with her. Add her. Let us both know what you thought of the episode. I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, thir- 27 seconds before we start. If you want to show love to the pod, please subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, leave us a review on Apple. Tell a friend about millennial sales, be a friend, tell a friend. And you can follow me on LinkedIn, Tom Alamo. Uh, I post just about every single day. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Zoe Hartsfield. Let's go. All right, now we got Zoe Hartsfield on the podcast. Zoe, good afternoon. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm doing well. I got to I imagine you get this comment on every single Zoom call, but the Speckit sign above your right shoulder is so baller. It's so impressive. I need to know where you got it. I need to know your the this the light show dealer. Like I need all of it. I need my own one. Uh yeah. Well, so I definitely ordered it off of this like sketchy website on the internet. Like I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it came to me from Ukraine, which is cool. Uh, I, I actually have many, a neon sign. You can see the one not lit up behind me as well. Um, I had one made when I worked at Dooley, but I've ordered all of them myself. I think it's just kind of like a fun background. It's a good conversation starter. So that's why I have it. But when I, uh, accepted the job at Speckit, I ordered it in hopes that it would be here in time for me to announce on my first day. It literally showed up the day after. So it was one of those things where I was like, ah, I had this whole thing planned with like these, um, confetti poppers and wow. like cake and champagne and this sign. And I ended up just doing it for our series B announcement instead. So well, when there's that many good things happening, you always have a, an occasion to pop open the champagne and and yeah, who doesn't want to pop open champagne on a Tuesday like yeah let's go yeah for sure um and the other sign is what that's patience and luck is that what that says yeah patience and luck so my middle name is patience and um uh, my husband's name is French uh for luck and so it's like a silly saying we've had since we got engaged and I actually uh wrote a song for him for our two-year anniversary about it and um yeah that was an anniversary gift uh 
a year ago, I think, and he has it above his desk. So what a cool middle name. You know, I used to hate it. I used to think it was the dumbest and like, (laughs) thank the good Lord that my parents, like they almost made it my first name, which I actually have a friend named Patience. She's lovely. And I, I like that that's her first name. But when I was a kid, I was just like, Patience is like the dumbest middle name I could possibly have. Uh, but I've, I've really grown to love it as an adult. And I make a pun all the time and nobody understands it when people are like, oh, just be patient. I'm like, oh, Patience is my middle name. But like, nobody actually knows that that's my middle name. So it just like goes right over their heads. And I think I'm hilarious. That's great. I love that. I love that. Um, so I want to, I have so many thoughts and so many things that I, I hope to get into with you on this pod. I've been a, a big fan of your content that you put out for a, a while now. Um, we've been interacted a lot on LinkedIn and um, so I'm excited to have this conversation. And when I was looking at your background, what I didn't, I felt like I knew you know, a decent amount about your track record, but I didn't know that you started at T. Rowe Price as like an intern and then maybe question mark your first job like post-college or, or during college like selling financial services what, what was that all about yeah so I started as an intern I guess I'll back up a little bit further I was living in LA um, doing school online working full-time for a big real estate conglomerate called CBRE and I was basically a glorified receptionist that didn't ever answer phone calls like I was like a hostess at their desk but my desk was like a sculpture and it was at the top of this high rise in downtown LA and I used to commute an hour and a half to work every morning and I loved it at the time it was like the coolest job I thought I could possibly have I was 20 I was living in LA it was awesome and then one night when I was driving home uh, somebody fell asleep at the wheel and they t-boned me and I suffered a pretty bad head injury And I couldn't work for several months because something happened with my eyes where they no longer converged at a single point, which made reading basically impossible. Um, So I ended up moving home with my parents. They had moved to Colorado while I was in school and moved home with them. And it was supposed to be temporary. I was just supposed to like recover for a couple months, go back out, go back to my job. They were like holding it for me. It was a whole thing. Well, my like two month recovery, they like ended up doing some like scans and they were like your head injury is like way worse than we initially thought it ended up taking like eight to ten months to recover and so I couldn't work and I stayed in Colorado and I took some time off school well when I started school up again my job was no longer waiting for me in LA I had just gotten engaged because I had met my now husband when I had moved back to Colorado and all that to say I needed a new job but because I was still in school I was like I should just apply for an internship like I don't even know what I want to do I'm this like dumb business major like what does anybody do with a business degree who knows and sorry my dogs are very excited because the male person is here um yeah and so I ended up actually like just randomly I didn't know anybody at the company applying for this internship and like they gave it to me for some reason. They were just like, yeah, we'll like take a chance on this random person with no track record of working ever. And we'll give her an internship. And three months in, they were like, do you want to come on full time? To which I said, no, because I was doing data entry and it was like, I wanted to die. I was sitting in a cubicle, like checking people's loan applications against their 401ks, which it's important work. I just didn't like it. And they were like, well, what if you worked like on the phones? Like, what if you did kind of like our customer service and you did transactions? I was like, okay, I I could do that. So they offered me a full-time job there. So I was working honestly 50 hours a week and in school full-time. And I did that for almost a year and got like my licenses and I was going to move into like a leadership role. And I remember my boss told me, he was like, I want you to apply for this team lead role. I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, that, that's amazing that you see that in me. Like, I would love to apply for this team lead role. He's like, yeah, 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 but you're not going to get it. I was like, wait, <laughs> why would I apply for it if you know I'm not going to get it? He's like, well, it's just like how it works. Like you need to like apply so that you can kind of like get in queue and you, nobody ever makes it on their first try. And so I said, hey, like for clarification, if I apply and I interview and I do the best because they had like a very structured interview scoring system um, that was pretty, it was like a 25 point system. And if you score above a 14, you are like qualified for the job. If you score above an 18, you are like a kick-ass candidate. And so I was like, so you're telling me if I score like a 19 or a 20 on this like interview and somebody else who has been waiting longer scores worse than me, they will get the job and not me. And he was like, that is exactly what I'm telling you. So I quit. 
I fucking hate red tape. <laughs> it was like, it was <laughs> wild, but like, that's just the way that they operated. Like I make it yeah. sound like, oh, I just like signed my resignation. Like I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I wasn't happy in that role. And it just yeah. made me realize like, I'm going to be waiting in line forever. And it doesn't matter if I'm the best possible option. And I wasn't saying I was better than everybody else, but I I didn't even have a shot if I was. If I was yeah. better, it didn't matter. I wasn't going to get the role. It was all about tenure. It was all about seniority. And I was the youngest person on the team. So it wasn't going to be in the cards for me. And I'm just like a little bit too uh, impatient for that. So I needed to uh, I needed to be somewhere else. So I took a little bit of time off and that's how I ultimately ended up at Bombom. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's one of the main differences between, you know, if I, if I were to just generalize like the generation that we're in versus maybe our parents' generation where that was the common thing. It's like you wait your turn, you stick it out 30 years, you get the promotion, all that stuff. And that's fine. But I, I rarely talk to people that are in our age bracket that are down for that. It's like, well, if I don't have a shot, if I'm the best person for the job and, and I still don't have a shot to get it or I don't have a shot for the promotion or I'm not getting paid equally or whatever it is, then you know, F you, I'm out, you know, I'm going to go find something where, you know, I do control my destiny more to an extent. And I just feel like that's, that's definitely something that it seems like people of our generation have really like, it struck a nerve with them. And, and that seems to define a lot of people's paths early on. Yeah. I mean, like, where's the dignity in that? Like, like I would lose all motivation if somebody was like, I don't care how hard you work. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care about the results that you get this person who's kind of terrible is going to be promoted to your boss. Like that would just be so demotivating for me. And it was. And so I, I have no regrets sort of leaving a company that operated that way. And hopefully they change, like hopefully enough people in like the millennial Gen Z sort of generations come in and cause disruption in some of these larger companies, like that aren't going anywhere, but maybe I believe that there's room for change and disruption in those big, big companies. I just think it's going to take a lot longer and it's really fun to work for these like younger tech companies, SaaS companies, more dynamic, more nimble, um, usually a lot more people in that younger generation, more willing to make it a meritocracy. That's like one thing I love about sales is that it is a meritocracy and you are judged based on your outcomes and like, it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like. Well, I mean, I'm sure in some situations it does and that's horrible, but like, it shouldn't matter who you are. It should matter. What can you do? And Mm -hmm. that's how people should be rewarded, I think. And um, I'm glad I like moved into an industry that, that operates more like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so your next move was bomb bomb. And I saw somewhere that you sent 4,000 plus personalized videos while you were there as, as a BDR. So I'd love to hear how that came to be. And just like, I mean, that's just a, a, I mean, it's a grind being a BDR or an SDR anywhere. Um, but when you're sending that many videos and that's, you know, your first tech or first SaaS sales job, like talk me through that experience. You know, I actually feel incredibly lucky that that was my first SaaS job and like sales job for a number of reasons. Number one, video is still like kind of on the come up. So whether it's yeah. BombBomb, Vidyard, Loom, like love those teams as well. Great, great tools. Video is still like a pattern interrupt for people and not a lot of reps are using video. Now I'm not saying send all your prospects a five minute video, like hard pitching them your product. Yeah. I'm saying leverage video to stand out in somebody's inbox in a creative way or stand out in their DMs. And so it, It sounds like it's harder than it was, but because it was my first foray into SaaS sales, like it was super obvious to me. I was like, oh yeah, this is just like how you prospect people. And then like moving to companies where that wasn't the thing, it like blew my mind that people weren't using video regularly. I was like, wait, why not? It works so well. Like I, I had so much success with it. Now to everyone else's credit, like I sold a video software. So it behooved yeah. me to use video to sell the video thing that I was using. But I do think it also like the positive responses I would get from people in like their link, the LinkedIn DMs and be like, wow, like I never get videos. Like this is super creative. This is fun. Like, I think yeah. that is where the value is. And like, so it wasn't actually as overwhelming as it sounds. I think people get very intimidated 
uh, by using video. They're like afraid to be on camera. They're afraid to talk to other people. But at the end of the day, like you're, you wouldn't be afraid. I'm not afraid to talk to you on the Zoom meeting. We've all been on Zoom for forever. So you're just doing yeah. that, but nobody else is sitting on the other side. It's happening async. So it's, uh, it's worth taking that step to be brave because I think the results speak for themselves. For sure. What, what was your move when you were doing videos? Was it like, I got my list and I just need to like bang out like 50 videos and I'm going to do like 30 seconds first take, like, you know, here's what bomb bomb does, or was it more personalized or more like specific than that? Like, how did you generally go about it? So I took a different approach from probably everybody else on my team. Um, I had a very generalized relevance, heavy, but personalization absent approach on my very first email touch. So that was really like an engagement litmus test. If they opened it, if they played the video, it was like 17, 20 second video, just like introducing myself, letting them know I was going to be connecting with them on LinkedIn and giving them a call later in the week. And, um, like maybe like a quick half sentence bomb bomb can do this for you kind of a thing, but I'm going to be calling you later this week. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what it feels like to receive a video like this in your inbox, no personalization, but trying to make it very relevant to the role. So if I was reaching out to like, I would batch BDR leaders, I would batch sales leaders, I would batch CS leaders. Um, and so there was something relevant to their role, but I never used any names or anything like that. Um, and then my second touch, if they had engaged with the first one, I would send, I would leave a voicemail that would say, Hey, um, nobody listens to their voicemail and you're not going to call me back. So I'm going to send you a video of voicemail instead. <laughs> and I would just like, that was it. I'd be like, what's up, John, you're not going to call me back. Let's be real. Cause almost everybody in their voicemail is like, Hey, it's John Smith. Leave me a voicemail and I'll give you a call back as soon as I can. So I would say, Hey, John Smith, you're not going to call me back. We both know this. So <laughs> I'll send you a video of voicemail instead. I will see you in your inbox. And then I would immediately send that video that said, let's be honest, you're not going to call me back. But then I would address them by their name. I would write their name on a whiteboard. It would be more personalized, especially if they had engaged with that first email in any way. And I had a killer meeting set rate on that second email. So this brings me to a, a topic I'm really excited to get into with you, which is like kind of ripping up the playbook, right? And whether you're talking about BDR and like you have this sequence you're supposed to send out or even just like the traditional career, uh, you know, kind of like pipeline that you should go if you're a BDR, then you go to be an AE, then a manager, then this, then this, then this, and then like one day you're a CRO, I guess, or whatever. And yeah. it just, it feels like a skill that real that people really need to develop, which is the opposite of what you're taught for the first 21 years of your life in school, is that you actually don't need to follow the script. It actually behooves you to think outside the box. Like, how would I go about doing this if there were no rules? I feel like that's how you view things and are really good at that. But I'm curious, like, is that, is that fair? Is that accurate? Like, do you see things a different way? Yeah, so I was lucky and unlucky. Um, so Bomb Bomb was forming an outbound team and going up market went like shortly after I joined. And so I got to be part of that like pioneer outbound team. That meant there was no playbook. So there was nothing I had to rip up. It was just kind of like, here's a sequence we made for you, but like we kind of expect you guys to kind of rip it up and do your own thing with it. So every single person on my team wrote their own sequences. We were going after our own verticals. I was assigned mortgage as a vertical. Uh, my friend Clarissa went after home builders. She had a ton of success there. And we had completely different sequences. We had completely different styles, completely different messaging. But the unifying factor was we leveraged social and we really tried to be as human as possible. Like mm -hmm. ditch the script, ditch the like salesy BS, just hey, you're a person, I'm a person, you have a problem. I think I have a solution for you. Here's how we've helped people just like you in the past. Does it make sense to have a conversation? Like not the hard ask, not the pushy, like push past seven no's and like, don't like reach out to other, you know, decision makers. Like I remember during the pandemic, it was tragic. It was totally tragic. You would call people and they would be like, sorry, I just got furloughed or like, I'm, I'm actually like, um, taking some like unpaid PTO and seeing if we like go back to the office or, you know, just like craziness was happening. Yeah. Right. And I had a manager who was like, 
well, just because, you know, they, they said that like, doesn't mean that they're, they're not going to buy. And I'm like, manager, they just filed for chapter 11. That is bankruptcy. Like they're not going to buy, like, I need to be a human and not push past that. So I think it was just like learning how to be empathetic and taking the scripts because like scripts aren't bad, but making it your own and, and learning how to frame that messaging in a way that feels right for you. Because like, I think product marketers and content marketers and, and sales trainers and sales copywriters are like heroes. I think they're great at what they do, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, um, like it's like a clothing store. Like not everything is one size fits all. I need to like pair a different jacket with a different sweater. Like you, you kind of need to like try on your own stuff and maybe we're all at the same store, but I'm going to put together a different outfit than you. And both of them are going to look good and they're both going to be effective. And that's kind of the way that I think about like sales copy and sales outreach is like, we all have similar building blocks, but how we put it together and present it needs to be a reflection of who we are in order for it to land the most authentic way it could. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's super true. I think everyone needs to find their voice. Like I've seen a lot of BDRs or, or AEs, you know, see someone have a lot of success because they're, you know, really direct or they're funny or they're, you know, super like have the great empathy, like for people just naturally, that's something that they're really good at and try to copy that and mimic that. And I think it usually takes a little bit of time for me. It took probably a a few years to like take, yeah, you take bits and pieces from people and then you kind of mold it into like who you are and get to where you are. And I think the same goes with speaking, the same goes with writing anything that you're probably starting. Um, you probably cut from people and and then end up having your own voice. And, And once you get to that point where it's your voice, making the call or sending the email or doing whatever you're doing, then you're golden. Then you're in like a really great place because there's only one you. Yeah. And like, you've got to experiment, right? Like you, you, I, there's a guy on our team. His name's Reese. He's a killer AE. He shout just out hit, Reese. shout out Reese. Uh, he hit president's club last year and he is like a baller on the cold calls. He can cold call all day. I sucked at cold calls when I was a rep but I still hit quota and I still exceeded quota. And it was because I was good at like social selling and email. And I think like one thing that's really important for reps to think about is like your activity metrics are a guideline, like definitely do them. Definitely, you know, put in the work, do the activity. But if you see a channel that just like really, really works for you, double down on that, like go where you're having success and then go do more of those things. You will have more success. It's crazy how that works. Yeah, that's so true. And I think, you know, going back to my original question of, uh, of kind of like ripping up the playbook, I feel like you and and other people I've seen, I've started to do that from a career lens too. Um, because at, I think at bomb bomb was your first run in at marketing, uh, something around community. And so that's not, the typical path, like again, the typical path would be to go be an AE, be in sales forever, or maybe marketing, like, you know, down the line, if you're, if you're feeling a little crazy. Um, but I'd love for you to just talk about like, was that an organic job role that came up? Did you see like, Hey, this is an opportunity that we could take advantage of. Like you talked to someone that had done community. How did that work? So equal parts, like, kind of like timing and luck and equal parts, me being just laser focused on where I wanted to go. So the way it worked is I was promoted to this outbound team and I really didn't want to do it (laughs) because I was like, I don't want to make cold calls. And I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad my manager pushed me to do it because it's an invaluable skill, cold calling, cold emailing, being able to start conversations with strangers is something I will take with me through the remainder of my career. And I have no regrets that I, I learned how to do that. But at BombBomb at the time, the next role for me would have been an AE role and it would have been in the smaller business segments, which is incredibly transactional. Nothing wrong with that, but I just like, wasn't interested in taking like one-off demos, swiping credit cards and passing people off. Like I really wanted more relationship than that. And so I kind of went to my boss and I was like, what do I do if I don't want to be an AE? He's like, well, what do you want to do? So that was a challenging question because at the time I didn't know I was two months into the BDR role, already knowing that I didn't want to make cold calls for the rest of my life. And I was like, and I don't want to be an AE. So where do we go from here? And he just encouraged me to think about what I didn't want to do. And that was a really good exercise. He was like, what's the stuff you hate? 
make a list of that. And then just like cross out the jobs that are going to require you doing that all the time. And I was like, well, I don't want to make, you know, a hundred cold calls a day. I was like, I can make a few, but I don't want to make a hundred. And like, I don't want to, you know, have to be sitting up against the same 400 metrics every single day for the rest of my life. So like, I just quickly eliminated the things that I didn't love. And then I made a list of things that I was really passionate about and things that I enjoyed. And I was like, I love writing sales sequences and I love getting people to respond. And I love testing subject lines and I love getting people to engage and starting these relationships on social. And I like posting on social every so often and like seeing what's working and social selling. So marketing seemed like the next best thing. So what I did was I started meeting with the VP of marketing, the content marketing manager, and the person who had like the most entry level job in marketing that I thought was maybe attainable for me who had zero marketing experience. And I started meeting with them like every couple of weeks. And I would just ask them questions. I would learn about their role and I would learn about their day-to-day and the problems and what they wish they could like do better and what they would be helpful if they had help with, et cetera. And I asked the VP very candidly in March, I was like, I know that this is where I want to go. What do I need to do between now and six months from now to be the obvious choice when a role opens up? And he thought about it and he gave me a list of things. And then we started like conversing pretty regularly and he would send me articles and be like, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think about this? And when all was said and done, the person who had that very entry-level role ended up moving to another company. And she DM'd me the day that she put in her notice and she was like, John's going to reach out like maybe brush up on your resume. I was like, okay. So the VP reached out to me and he was like, Hey, I want you to apply for this job. Just so you know, I have created this role with you in mind, but like you need, you need to interview for it. And so we did. And so I went through the interview process and, um, applied and did a project and the final interview, it was down to me and one other external candidate. And he asked me point blank. He was like, you know, Zoe, the other candidate, like I'll tell you right now, she's got five years of experience in marketing. Why should I hire you over her? And like, I have no clue what possessed me to say this to this day. Like it was such an immediate response out of my mouth that like, I don't, I don't know how my brain computed the information, but I was just like, I don't know that you should. Like, I don't know that you should hire me over the person with more experience. If you want somebody who knows how to do, you know, like, the social and like do all of the stuff that's in the job requirements and has done it before, then like, I'm not your girl. I was like, but if you want somebody who knows our customers and who spent like hundreds of hours on the phone with prospects and the people that we help and knows the problem that we solve really intimately, and you're willing to teach me some of those technical skills, then I think I'm, I'm the right option. But like, that's, that's really up to you. And I remember walking away from that conversation and I, I straight up like told my husband, I was like, I just lost the job. Like, I'm not, they're not going to hire me. They're not going to give me that job. And uh, he told me afterwards, he was like, that was when I knew I wanted to hire you because there's, there is a strength. I didn't know this at the time, but I know this now there is a strength in having the self-awareness to know what you know and know what you don't know. And like, bring that to people proactively, like, Hey, this is what I'm good at. I also know what I'm really not good at, but I am willing to put in the work to get there. And so for somebody in sales, like I knew what my strengths were. I also knew I had no marketing experience. So if they wanted experience, like I can't just like manifest five years of marketing experience in one interview. It's just not going to happen. But, um, yeah, I think, I think sales taught me a lot about self-awareness, even though I wasn't aware of it at the time. Uh, and I think that is, is a real like advantage for people going through their careers. And if you can know what you want and know what you don't want and know what you're good at and know what you're not, it's just going to help you as you try and carve your own career path outside of maybe like the norm. I mean, how true is that in, in just about my mind's racing just through like every sort of sales or even personal conversation that you have, like, if you know, if you know what you want and you know, like what your boundaries are, let's say in a deal, like it's, it's pretty easy to have that conversation. It's like here, you know, we'd love to work with you, but like, but here's the price. If someone's asking for a crazy discount, it's like, if you know, you can't go that low as they're asking, and that's just like unreasonable for you to do, then it's like, well, we might, I might lose the deal and that's okay because I just, there's nothing else that that can be done. I think there's a lot of power in that. And again, like when I think about the first few years of my sales career, every deal was like, 
going to my boss, like, all right, how low can we go on this to like get this deal done? And, um, and we got some deals done, but, um, you know, to the point where, you know, I'd get in trouble for, for discounting or whatever. And it's like, there's a lot of strength to be had in, uh, in those types of conversations or a career conversation and knowing this is where I'm at. This is what I can do. This is what I'm good at. This is what I can't do. Um, and just throwing that on the table and being able to live with, like, it sounded like you could have lived with the consequences of not getting the job in that situation. Yeah. I mean, it would have been tough, but I think, uh, I think it's Josh Braun who talks about like separating yourself from the outcome. I'm sure a lot of other people do too, but he's the one who's coming to mind right now. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Like separating yourself from the outcome. And like, that's a little bit easier to do in sales because it's like, you're not necessarily selling yourself. It's a little harder in like the job market or like when you're up for a promotion and you don't get the promotion. Um, so funny story, actually a few months prior to, uh, to all of this, there was an opportunity for a promotion that I did end up getting. It was when I was inbound. And then there was like an opportunity to go outbound. Uh, there was one spot open and I didn't even know that I was up for it, but me and, and one other person were up for it. And they ended up giving it to her. And I was so confused by that because like, we were like, always at the top of the board together. Like I couldn't figure out what I had done wrong. I wasn't sure why I didn't get the opportunity. They ended up promoting me six weeks, six weeks later. But for that six weeks, I was very salty and upset about it. And I ended up sitting down with my VP um, randomly, like a few days after the promotion happened. He was like, what? He's like, what do you want to ask me? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I know you want to ask me something. What do you want to ask me? And I was like, okay, like level with me. Like why, why was it her and not me? And he was like, you left it too close to call. And that was a really interesting lesson mm -hmm. about not leaving it up to the umpire and making sure that you were an obvious choice. And basically what he had said is we were neck and neck. And what it came down to is she'd been at the company a couple months, months longer than me. And so he went for seniority. He's like, you could have been just as good for the job, but like you guys weren't, it wasn't like so obvious that you were so much better that we had to give it to you. So we gave it to the person with more a little bit more experience. And that was like just such a, a powerful message for me. And I think about that as I go into all of my roles and like even thinking about my job at Speckett, like I've only been here for a month, but I'm thinking about the title that I want in a year and a half. And how can I make myself the obvious choice? How can I make sure that I never leave it up to the umpire in a situation like that again? And I think that's like a really valuable lesson in sales and a really valuable lesson as you kind of like progress in your career. And I learned it the hard way. Man, what's that title a year and a half from now for Zoe Hartsfield? Where are you at? Let's manifest uh, this shit. Yeah, manifest this shit. So I, I'm actually hoping in 12 months to be a head of and or a director of community. Okay. Uh, that, would be, that would be my next one. And I want to be a VP by the time I'm 30. So I am 26 now. Got like three and a half years to get that done. Uh, so yeah, manifesting it into the universe now. The universe thanks you. Um, <laughs> well, I'm curious, like, all right, I'm going to just throw it out. Let's just like play, you know, like dumb here. Like I, what does a community manager do? Like just educate me because I see like when you were at, du obviously you're, you're pretty new at Speckett, but when you guys are at Dooley, like you and, and Mark and everyone, Camille, like you're just everywhere. And, you know, like, I love the team over there. There's so many cool people. And you just saw, and I think Gong, you know, does, does a great job with this Chili Piper. Like there's a few other companies and you just see them everywhere. They got a lot of partnerships. They're doing a lot of stuff, but let's just say someone wanted to like, oh, community sounds interesting. Like what, what on a day to day, like, how does that work? What do you do? Yeah, of course. So I have to credit a lot of this and a lot of what I think about community to Mark Young. He's like one of the best SaaS brand builders out there yep. right now, like period. Uh, and he's crushing it. And Camille and Q, like that whole marketing team is just so phenomenal and they're going to do big things. So much love to my dooligans. Um, yeah, so community looks really different for different companies. I've got friends who are building community at their respective companies. Um, a lot of companies have proprietary communities. Some companies acquire communities. The strategy and approach that Speckett is taking to community right now, and there's like a lot of thought and, and consideration that went into this is, we are partnering with communities where our ICP lives. So be it our economic buyer or our end user, we are spending time where they are spending time. We want to establish ourselves as a known brand, as an authority on the subject, and as a value add. And if we can do that, 
and make sure that our ICP knows the name spec it, that's going to make sales easier. It's also going to inform us of maybe gaps that exist in the community space where our ICP spends time and will give us an opportunity to do a bunch of research and potentially build a proprietary community of our own down the line around those gaps. Because community for community's sake is like kind of doomed to fail. There's some scary statistic that I heard. I want to say it was on in before the lock with Erica Cole, who shout out Erica Cole. She's amazing. She was like the OG community builder at Salesforce, like back before community was even a role. She basically pioneered the whole trailblazers community. So oh wow, she's a baller. And uh, she and I had a meeting and she was just talking about like 70% or some crazy statistic, and, and hopefully I'm not misquoting her, but like some something like 70% of communities fail within the first three to four months of launch because there's no sense of direction. And like, you don't realize what a giant beast it is to not only start a community, but like continue to foster and grow it. Like people have only so much time in a day. And when you're a community, you're asking people for some of that time. There's a million communities out there. And yeah. so something's got to give you're only going to spend time in the communities that provide you the most value. And so it's really about like, what is the gap in the market? It's, it's just like a SaaS product. People don't buy products because they're cool ideas. People pr buy products because they solve a problem. People don't join communities just because it's like, nope, another community to be a part of. It's because it helps them solve a problem. It helps them get better at their job. It makes them feel a sense of like belonging or um, like camaraderie. And so we're looking for the gaps in the enablement communities right now to see if there's something that we could build to fill. But in the meantime, we're going to go make best friends with all those communities and all the people in it and uh, use that to facilitate good introductions to sales. So what could you give me an example of like a community that you um, have kind of targeted and then like what that conversation looks like if it's like you sponsor them or you just like become kind of like good friends and maybe they they get they try to refer spec it to, to people in the community? Like how exactly would that, would that work? Yeah. So like a good example, I would say one of them is sales assembly. Like there's a lot of yep. enablement people in sales assembly. And so we are a paid sponsor of sales assembly at this point, not every single community that we're partnering with, are we doing annual sponsorships with, but that's one that we are. Yep. Um, and so we're thinking about ways to do content. We're looking for introductions. We're trying to be uh, equipping our team to be champions and brand ambassadors so that they can show up in the community and be helpful. So that doesn't mean like, oh, somebody mentioned the word enablement. We're going to go be like, have you tried spec it? It's, oh, somebody mentioned they have like a problem creating playbooks. Can I get my head of enablement to go just like offer some advice, spec it aside, you know, so that we are then showing up, establishing that familiarity, establishing that rapport and that name recognition so that when they inevitably are ready for a tool like Speckit, we are top of mind. And that's a super easy, like, Hey, you know, you actually asked about this a couple of months ago. We saw that you're onboarding like 50 new reps. Uh, this, this year, there's so many like openings for, for sales. You guys must be growing like crazy. Did you know that Speckit helps reduce onboarding and ramp time by X percent? We'd love to have a chat. And that's like a much easier yes than us reaching out to somebody who's never heard our name before, that doesn't know the problem that we solve, that doesn't see us as an authority on the subject. And so there's a ton of benefit to partnering with communities where ICP spends time and also with thought leaders who are respected in the community and attaching our name to that thought leadership whenever possible. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like the, the communities, especially in sales, have exploded uh, in the last few years. And that's where, like, there's a there's a lot of weight behind, you know, like, when I think of community and sales, that, you know, I think of, like, Thursday Night Sales as one. It's like, there's a lot of weight behind, like, Scott and Amy recommending something or saying, hey, like, we trust the people at XYZ Company. Um, and, you know, I think it, people have learned a lot and they feel a sense of belonging, like you said, and it, it means a lot to people. And so I, I think that's a huge way that people are going about buying and making decisions and, and things like that. Um, I want to get to one more topic and then we'll, we'll get to a couple rapid fires before we head off. Um, but I've heard you or, or seen you rather post about, you know, things related to mental health. You've been very authentic. You've been very open. Um, I feel like that's, that's certainly a topic that's near and dear to my heart as well. And, and something that I like to talk about. So I'm just curious, like, you know, in the COVID world, like, we're all isolated. We're not like in the same world that we have been, you know, before the last two years, but how, how do you kind of like keep yourself like 
on the up and up and like, you know, keep yourself feeling good. And like, how much um, importance do you put on like making sure your mental's right versus like, you know, all the other shit that has to get done in your day and in your week? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, how real do we want to get on here? <laughs> I'm fine. Let's get, let's let's get, real. get real. Yeah. So um, almost two years ago, uh, I attempted suicide actually. And uh, it was while I was working in sales and it was a really super dark time in my life. Uh, There's a lot going on behind the scenes. Like I had gone through something like pretty traumatic a couple months prior. Like it was just a tough time. And I was also trying to hit my number and like trying to be a person and function. And I, I just hit sort of a breaking point. And the two things that really helped me out of that was one, I took some, some time off. I was, I was lucky enough that uh, my VP and uh, CRO basically said like, take, take a couple weeks, just like relax. We've got you unlimited PTO. Like, don't worry about it. So I took a little bit of time off, did some like intensive therapy. Uh, I was actually on a medication for like a brief period of time, helped me kind of get through that really rough period. And then I kind of like went back to life as normal. And that was a mistake. I should not have done that. And then I moved into marketing and I thought that was going to maybe help. And then I switched companies and I thought that was going to maybe help. But at the end of the day, I was like running away from problems that were going to always follow me because they were internal. And so the things that have really, really helped me in the last, I would say five or six months is going to therapy and committing to it and like not feeling a sense of like shame or dread or like embarrassment that I go to therapy. It's now something that I'm like kind of proud of and like recommend to everybody having a dedicated person help you. If you broke your leg, nobody's going to shame you for going to the doctor (laughs) to like get a cast. And yet when like our heads a little broken, we're like, oh, that person has to go to therapy. Oh my God. Like, no, it's, it's just like, you need professionals to help you with the things that you are not an expert in. And so I think that's really, really been helpful. Um, I've been working out more consistently recently running, going to the gym, which I wasn't doing because of the pandemic, I just was like too afraid to go to the gym because of all the germs, yeah. <laughs> uh, for a little bit. And then, um, Yeah. The other thing was just like really, really investing in like community and friendships, like be it community in terms of the communities I'm a part of with sales, like Thursday night sales has been like a really bright spot in my weeks. Um, but also really investing in like my people, like, um, Kelsey Calabro and I from Dooley, we became friends. We talk every single day. And I also have friends who don't work in SaaS sales whatsoever that I talk to most days. And Mm -hmm. I think just like being more open and being more honest, I'm somebody who has a really easy time talking about the hard things after the fact and not an easy time opening up about them when they're actively happening. And so just really challenging myself this year, to be honest, when I'm having a hard time sort of shoving it down and trying to dive into work, because that's what I've done historically. Um, And then the final thing is just like having mentors who know me and who see me and who can call me out when they think I'm like getting a little bit squirrely. Uh, Corey Kosick, who is the CEO of Aspireship, actually had a really candid conversation with me before the start of the year. And he was just like, Zoe, you know, you have so much potential. And he's like, you will achieve everything that you want in life if you take the next couple of years to get your head right. Like, and he meant it. And he said it because he cares about me. And he saw that I was like running full speed and going to like run myself into the ground. And he was like, if you can just if you can just dial in your mental health, like there's nothing you won't achieve. And having somebody speak that into my life who I know, like shoot me straight, but also encourage me in that way was super, super powerful. So I guess to summarize, um, therapy, exercise and community and mentorship has just like really been integral in helping me feel more like a whole person. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, and coincidentally, I'm checking the clock because I have a therapy appointment in 11 minutes. So <laughs> nice. So, Glad to hear um, it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm, I'm, I've, I've shared that with, with people that listen on the show and, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you're going through hard shit. It's, um, to then like, you know, I only know sales. That's the only job I've, I've had, but to go and you're dealing with all this tough stuff, whatever it is. And then it's like, you got the 8 a.m. pipeline review call and it's like, <laughs> really not, really not feeling this right now. It's really, yeah. I'm really not. And I, I would echo that, you know, having conversations, if that's how you're feeling with, you know, 
your boss uh, is helpful to let them know where you're at so they can keep that in perspective. And I think people will mo more likely than not surprise you in the positive that they're like, you know, can see you as a person and treat you as such. Um, and if they don't, then that's probably your first clue that you need to find a new boss or a new job. Um, but I think just kind of like talking through this and being open and I, you know, definitely agree with the exercise, definitely agree with the community. It can be virtual. Uh, it's better in person, uh, yeah. at least having someone in person yeah. for sure too. Um, but all of that I think is super helpful. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you're able to share that with, with everyone too. Yeah. I, I think, um, it's going to sound really cheesy, but like depression, anxiety, the darkness, whatever you want to call it, it wins when we are isolated and when we feel alone. And like, there's this thing in the back of our head that says like, nobody cares, or like you're weak if you share about this or whatever the narrative is that like, you'll, there's something bad about you if you're honest about this thing. And it, it makes us keep things kind of like bundled up inside. Cause we want to seem put together, but there's so much relief and often like relatability and camaraderie and like you feel less alone when you talk about it. And so I, I, if there's one tip I could give to anyone, if you can't afford therapy, if you can't, you know, like exercise, like whatever your situation is, if you can just talk about it with somebody like that is the first step to kind of getting out of that pit, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that for sure. Um, People always seem to come out of the woodwork when I, I mention the therapy thing and, you know, not to be stereotypical, but usually it's like guys are like tough guys that it's like, you wouldn't maybe anticipate that, or they wouldn't normally be open. And they're like, Oh yeah, I, I've been going or like, Hey, what's that all about? You know? Um, and so it's good. I just find it helpful to talk about. Um, and the reason I've done is because I heard other people talking about it. So um, with that in mind, I already let it, let the cat out of the bag that I've, I've got a time crunch. So I do want to get some rapid fires with you um, to let everyone know a little bit about you as well um, on a few other topics. So first up, we're big learners on this podcast. I got to know uh, if you are a reader, if there's any books that have stood out to you personally or professionally that have had an impact uh, on you in your life. Yes, um, I would say personally, the book, If You Feel Too Much by Jamie Torkowski, if you're somebody who uh, feels too much or has a lot of feelings, or you want to learn a little bit more about just like empathy, I think that's a great book to, to learn how to understand people who struggle with depression or if you struggle with depression. Um, yeah, it's just like a masterclass on empathy. And I really love that book. And it's, it's helped me through some tough times. I would also say I recently read Behind the Cloud by Benioff, uh, that Salesforce book, his playbook. It's broken up into pieces that make like the plays very easy and digestible. It's just tons of value if you're a marketer, if you're a salesperson, if you're a founder, you should read that book right now. So those are the two that come top of mind. Love it. How about any, um, are you, if you're a podcast person or a YouTube channel person or love following people on Instagram, whatever it is, anyone that stands out or any show that stands out that you uh, have been tuned into recently? Yeah. So, um, podcasts, I love armchair expert who doesn't. Oh it's, man. It's so good. Um, and also I like, it's terrible, but I love the show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. And they just <laughs> created a podcast where they're basically doing deep dives on like how they made the episodes. And I've been like okay. nerding out on that pretty, pretty good lately. So those two podcasts come to mind also. Okay. Esther Perel. It's just fascinating. Yeah. She's a, a therapist and she does live therapy sessions with anonymous couples. And oh, it's shit. almost like a murder mystery, but they're real people's stories. That is fascinating so those are my wow. three podcasts of choice uh as of late that's amazing okay uh what about in the what goes on in the headphones on spotify or apple music when you're so this is this is one that people i feel like wouldn't necessarily guess about me but um i have heard my taste in music be described as the saddest shit you've ever heard so <laughs> i listen to Sad music. I love it. Oh my gosh. I, I like, don't really listen to like super pump up music. So like okay. lo-fi chill pop, um, Ford is one of my favorite artists right now. I would also say, um, really been into Penny and Sparrow, like all of their remixes and, uh, Matt Mason. Great one. Yeah. Okay. I'll <laughs> That's bizarre, but I, I like it. That's great. Um, all right. Last one. Who would you want to see come next on the millennial sales podcast? Ooh, you should talk to, uh, 
Oh man. You should talk to Daniel Ryan if you haven't yet. Danielle or Daniel? Daniel. Daniel Ryan, he just got promoted to AE over at Dooley. Uh, he was oh. a BDR before, but um, he is like doing his own like real estate stuff on the side. He okay. has like the most interesting work history of anyone in sales that I've ever met. Okay. And uh, he is also one of the funniest people that I know. So I think you guys would really hit it off and actually have a very interesting chat. Okay, Daniel, you're on the you're on the list. You're on my cold call list. Um, Zoe, I got to say, this was a great conversation. I wish we could have gone for for longer. I appreciate um, the transparency. I like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm an actual like true admirer of of the things that you put out the path that you've carved. So thanks for spending, you know, 45 minutes here. Um, before we let you go, if folks want to connect with you, learn more about you, uh, get part of the communities you're building, talk about sad music, what's the best place to do all that? Yeah, talk about sad music all day. Um, <laughs> so LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time. I say this all the time. I have a Twitter. I never, ever use it. I like don't know how to use Twitter at all, but yeah. spend all my time on LinkedIn connect with me, DM me, whatever you want. Um, and then I spend a lot of time at Thursday night sales. I spend a lot of time just like lurking on LinkedIn. So, uh, <laughs> hit me up in either of those places. Also, um, uh, Scotty's little sales club. I hang out there too. That's another community that I'm a part of really. Yeah. Just hit me up wherever you see me. And I'm pretty, I'm like somewhat good at responding and, uh, love, love connecting with new people. Awesome. Thanks, Zoe. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for checking out that episode. Start of the year. Let's kick some ass. Again, one of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers uh, wherever you're listening here uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Alemo, uh, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.